Before we turn to Scripture, let's pray together. Saving God, reach across the ages and bring these ancient words to life once again, that we may find here comfort and hope and joy. Amen. As we turn to the Scriptures in Matthew, let's listen for what the Spirit is saying to us. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the, by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Last week I told you about our nativity set, the one with the empty manger. And after worship, Carl Thomason told me about the time he was setting up a nativity set here at FPC in the back of the sanctuary. And when he picked up the manger and held it in his hand, he saw that the manger was empty. And he asked around to other wise folks, what happened to the baby Jesus? Only to, to discover that he was holding the manger upside down. <laughs> and turn it right side up, and the baby Jesus is right where he's supposed to be. Now, honestly, that is great sermon material. I haven't worked out that sermon exactly yet, but it's got something to do with the Christ child always being present, but sometimes hidden, or maybe that if you want to find the Christ child, sometimes you have to turn things upside down. Over the years, I've spent a lot of time spinning sermons out of nativity sets. We actually have several in the Floyd house. They're made of ceramic and wicker and wood, and the figures come in all different shapes and sizes and colors. One has the holy family in a teepee. In another one that I got from Haiti, the stable is made from a coconut shell. Despite their differences, they generally have the same feel, the same spirit. The nativity scene is a frozen moment of heavenly perfection, with Mary and Joseph looking on adoringly, with shepherds and wise men and sheep and donkeys, all eyes filled with wonder, with angels drifting over the manger, stars shining in glory. As a child, I thought it was wondrous. And I still think it's wondrous, but now as an adult, I find myself wondering, what happened next? What happened after that moment of heavenly perfection? The angelic music stopped 
and was replaced by squeaking and squawking and mooing. The whole place smelled like a zoo. The racket woke up the baby who started to wail inconsolably. Mary and Joseph began fighting over whose turn it was to change the baby's diapers. And they were dead tired and chilled to the bone and hurt all over. And they didn't have any food or any money. And they had a newborn baby to take care of. In truth, the whole scene would have been smelly and noisy and chaotic. It didn't have to be that way. It could have been different, at least for Joseph. We don't talk much about Joseph. He's usually pushed to the edges of our story, standing in his bathrobe in the shadows of our nativity scenes. In the Gospels after Jesus is born, Joseph disappears altogether, so we really don't know much about him. But surely Joseph had a plan for his life before that nativity scene happened. Maybe he wanted to live in a community with nice houses and white picket fences. Maybe he wanted his children to go to the right schools and take the right classes and get the right SAT scores so that they can get into the right colleges and choose the right majors so that they can get the right jobs to afford the right houses in the right communities with the white picket fences and do it all over again or whatever the first century equivalent of that was. Surely Joseph had a plan for his life, and surely that plan did not include a pregnant fiancé and a honeymoon surrounded by sheep and donkeys. In our day, this would be a messy situation. In Joseph's day, it was a disaster. Shame and ridicule were inevitable for Mary, and if Joseph married her, he would face shame and ridicule too. It would be a hard life for all of them with constant whispers about the illegitimate child. It didn't have to be that way. Joseph could have said no. In fact, that was his first temptation to say no, to divorce Mary as quickly and quietly as possible, to wash his hands of the whole affair and put the pieces of his life back together as best he could. And it is, it is hard to blame him for that. He had every right to be worried about the future. There's plenty of that in our world right now, isn't there? Worry about the future. Some are afraid the world that they've known, the world that makes sense to them is slipping away. Others are afraid the world they've dreamed of, the world that gives them a place and a voice will never come. And so it's tempting to give up or give in, to pull back or hunker down, to distrust the future, to choose fear. But Joseph didn't do that. He had a dream. And in that dream, an angel came to him and told him not to be afraid. And because of that angel and because of that dream, something broke open in Joseph. His perfect life plan crumbled to dust. Instead, he chose the messiness He chose the chaos and the uncertainty. And that is precisely where God was doing something new. Our nativity scenes, these frozen moments of heavenly perfection, seem to suggest that the only way we can find God, that the only way we can find peace and love and joy is in those holy moments 
when everything is picture perfect, when we are set apart from the chaos and messiness of life. But that gets the story backwards because God was in that stable in Bethlehem in the midst of all the noise and the mess. And God is among us in our lives in the midst of the noise and the mess, right where we seem to be the most broken, right there. That's where God is found. The secret of Christmas is that it is a one-way holiday, and that way is down. Heaven is coming down, down into our beautiful and joyful and wounded and weary world, down into our lives, whether full or empty, whether bright and happy or touched by shadows and sorrow. Heaven is coming down for Christmas. I wonder, are any of you potters, any of you work with pottery? Well, good, then no one can, I see one maybe, okay. No one can correct what I'm about to say if it's wrong, but I have always found it amazing to watch potters at work taking a lump of clay and a spinning wheel and then somehow creating beauty out of that. And I'm told, I'm told that the secret is to shape the clay with just the right amount of pressure. If you hold it too tightly, it will collapse. If you don't hold it tightly enough, it will spin out of control. It will spin apart. So the, the secret is to hold the clay just on the edge of chaos. I love that. Just on the edge of chaos. Well, sometimes it feels like that's what God does with us, holding us just on the edge of chaos so that our lives can be shaped into something beautiful. Of course, most of us don't much like lives on the edge of chaos, but that seems to be where God does new things. When the life plan starts to crumble, when the future starts to stretch out beyond the comfortable and the familiar, it can be scary. And most of us don't have dreams and angels to tell us what to do, but we do have Joseph's story and he shows us there's another way, a way other than fear, saying yes to the future, trusting that God is at work for good, that God can bring light out of even the darkest darkness, that God's story and our stories begin and end with joy. Were any of you here last Sunday for my installation service? If you were, you heard that word more than once, joy. <laughs> Our guest preacher, Pam Drizel, made the point that joy is all over the place in the Bible, and it's, it's near the very heart of our faith. Mary Oliver says this about joy. If you suddenly and unexpectedly feel joy, don't hesitate. Give in to it. There are plenty of lives and whole towns destroyed or about to be. We are not wise and not very often kind, and much can never be redeemed. But still, life has some possibility left. Perhaps this is its way of fighting back, that sometimes something happened better than all the riches or power in the world. It could be anything, but very likely you notice it in the instant when love begins. Whatever it is, don't be afraid of its plenty. Joy is not meant to be a crumb. I think that's a good word for the choice that Joseph made. 
He could have chosen fear, chosen to walk away from an open and unsettled future, sticking to his life plan where he's comfortable and in control. But instead, he chose joy. He chose life on God's spinning wheel. He chose messiness and chaos. He chose love. And he was not afraid of its plenty. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying that every disruption in our lives is a divine visitation. I am not saying every trial and tribulation, every defeat and disaster is part of some perfect plan. But I do believe God is always present. And that means healing possibilities are always present. And I do believe it's often at the edges where we feel stretched out beyond the comfortable and the familiar that God does something new that joy happens. Long ago, Joseph had to choose between a settled life, a life according to plan, and a messy life, a life turned upside down and inside out by heaven. How often do we face that choice? Maybe sometimes it feels like life is spinning out of control, that that the plan isn't working, that the path isn't clear, but that may be because you're on God's spinning wheel and the master potter is creating something beautiful through you. So instead of fear, let us choose joy. We need not be afraid because we are not alone. God is born to us in any cradle we offer, on any pile of straw we can pull together. And the the disruptions and interruptions in our lives, the canceled plans and broken dreams are not dead ends, but detours drawing us deeper into the love of God. And so, unbound by fear, filled with hope, let us follow in Joseph's footsteps and choose joy this day and every day. And may we not be afraid of its plenty. Thanks be to God. Amen.